This is the fourth sermon in a series. And the first week was talking about creativity. And, and, and the idea is that when we're at, in a spiritual battle, we must create. We must be creative beings. We were created to be creative. And so we see all throughout the Bible where, where there's creative things that happen. Jesus spit in dirt to cause someone to see. Right? That's creative. Don't do that. And uh, also, you know, we saw Gideon and, and, and the, the jars and the trumpets, and they, would go, they went up on the mountaintop, and they screamed and blew the trumpets and broke jars, and the army killed themselves, and they, and they won. We also saw jo- Joshua and how they just had to be quiet and march around for seven days, and then on the seventh day, they let out a shout, and the walls fell down. And so we see throughout the Bible uses creativity to get his will accomplished. Um, and there was a study done back in the 90s. And what they did is they took 1,600 kids and it, uh, they tested them at the age of five, at the age of 10, and at the age of 15. And I'm going to go back to my original um, statistics so I have them. So at the age of five, they tested 1,500 or 1,600 children, and 98% of those children tested as creative geniuses. At five years old, 98% of those children were deemed creative genius. Then they retested at the age of 10 years old, and 30% tested as creative genius. And then they retested again at 15, and only 10% were creative genius. They also took 260,000 adults, and they tested those, and only 2% were tested as creative genius. And, and the, ultimate, the ultimate decision or the ultimate conclusion of that research was that creative, non-creative behavior is learned. We learn it through other people's criticisms, other people's opinions, other people's beliefs, and that causes us to enter into a place where we don't want to be creative because we're worried we're going to be judged. But Jesus actually said, unless you become like a child, you will not enter the kingdom. And I think that that's an important key, that as a child, 98% were creative geniuses, and as an adult, 2%, and we think we're the ones that have it all together. We don't. Um, And then the next week, I talked about uh, guarding your dreams and, and the importance of if God gives you a dream, you have to protect it. You have to protect the, God, the dream God gave you, whether that was a vision, a dream while you were sleeping, or just a goal that you have that you believe is God-inspired. You have to protect that from everyone else's facts, opinions, beliefs, criticisms, because ultimately, uh, if God gives you a dream, you have to guard that dream. And, and, and we, there was a dream that I shared, you guys can go back and watch it, um, that I had that, that I believe that we're getting ready to step into. But I also had the, the, the vision dream that Orfino shall be saved as a goal. It's a goal dream. And I believe that Orfino shall be saved. And I got so much criticism for this campaign that we did that I stopped. I had people, other pastors and other people tell me that's too lofty of a goal, that's too big. Um, I don't believe that that can happen. Uh, and, and, and I got really discouraged. And as I, because I don't ever write a sermon, as you know, for me, or for you, I write it for me. It's a very selfish act. Uh, it's what God's teaching me in the moment, and then I just kind of bring you along with me. Um, and so I have this up here as a reminder that Orfino shall be saved. 
It's a creative dream that I had. How that, what that's going to look like, I don't know. I haven't got that much in there yet, right? We know that it's going to start with a prayer meeting at Monty's and a women's Bible study at Gale's and women on fire with the ladies who are going and men on fire with the men who are going. We know that it begins with one. It doesn't begin with 100 or 1,000. It begins with one. And then last week, I talked about cultivating your garden and the importance of... I I can't even recap that. There was a lot there. Um, But the importance of... Of, of your spiritual garden inside of yourself, making sure that you're picking the weeds and the rocks out, the, the hard places, the bitterness, the, the, the offense, all those things have to come out in order for your plant to grow. And that plant is love. Because everything else comes from love, right? We know that the fruit of the Spirit is patience, joy, kindness, gentleness, self-control. But we also know that in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, it says love is patient, love is kind, love is gentle. It actually lists the fruit of the Spirit, through love. Love is what we plant, and attributes of that love are the fruit of the Spirit. We, we don't, it's not that complicated. If we pray for patience, we're actually just praying for a byproduct of the fruit, which is love. Does that make sense? So you're praying for the wrong thing. God, give me patience when Morgan does his own thing on the drums is the wrong thing. It is more... God, show me how to love Morgan. And in that love, I will create, patience will be created. I'm just kidding. He knows I'm just kidding. Um, you did miss that one, but that's okay. Uh, <laughs> I believe that, that, that we are on the precipice, on the, on the brink of revival, but revival doesn't necessarily look like uh, uh, what it used to look like. It doesn't have to look like Brownsville or Azusa or Toronto or, or, or the Great Awakening or the Jesus People Movement. It doesn't have to look like those things, but, but I believe that we are in the last hours of the last days. And I believe that it says that in that time, there will be a great harvest. I don't believe that. That actually is said. Um, but it does say that. But I believe we're on the, on the brink of that. Uh, but I don't believe that we as a church, and I'm not talking big church, I'm talking about Cream Ridge, I don't think we're ready for the influx. Because again, God entrusted us with a lot of visitors last year, a lot of people started coming, and we failed them. We did not connect. We did not do what we needed to do. And, and, and really, in some ways, it was, it was wonderful of God to show us Here's some shortcomings because when it happens, you need to be ready. And that doesn't mean 50, that means one, right? We're not waiting for 50 new people to come in. We're waiting for the one person that's hurting. And that could be someone who's came for years that just needs connection. So uh, for my birthday, my, my pastor and one of my best friends, Jeff, took me out to lunch, and, and uh, we were talking about what God's doing at, at Echo Hills and, and what God's doing here, and, and I was kind of sharing with him what this series looked like, and he said, Mike, I've been talking to people all over in Hawaii, everywhere. This is the, this is the message of the church in this hour is that we're not ready. Pull it together. We're not ready. We've, we've made Christianity self-centered when it's supposed to be him and them, not me and he. Right? 
Because if I come from Monty, my whole goal today is to bless Monty, and Monty comes and his whole goal is to bless Morgan, and Morgan comes and his whole goal, it, do you see the pattern? And all of a sudden, everybody gets fed, but it no longer is about me, but about someone else. Because Jesus didn't say, love yourself just as you love your neighbor. He says, love your neighbor just as you love yourself. It's about others. It's not about you. This week, I'm going to talk about the power of testimony. Tell me about it. It's not going to be a long one. <laughs> the clock already says one o'clock, so I feel like I can just swing on through to whenever. Um, I was thinking, I was sitting down in my, my office. Thank you, Rhonda and John and Ryan downstairs. They built me an office that's absolutely beautiful. And, uh, I uh, was sitting down in my office this week, and I was, thinking about, I was thinking about testimony, and I was actually thinking about, as a teenager, what I thought of testimonies. They terrified me, because I was like, I don't, I don't, have, a, I don't have a testimony. I didn't, God didn't save me out of something big. Like, I started church in this church at nine years old. Right? And, and I was like, oh my gosh, I, I've been a Christian as a teenager. I mean, obviously I did things later, but uh, just bolster my testimony. But uh, <laughs> I, I, I started at this church at nine years old, and, and this is all I knew. And, and I didn't, I had never done anything big. And so these people get up and it's like, God has saved me from drug addiction, from, from you know, adultery, from. You know, I used to beat people up for no reason, and now all of a sudden God has taken that away, and I'm like, God didn't do any of those things for me. I don't have a testimony. I know that I think we, we used to think, or I used to think, that God only really liked the big stories, the big ones, right? The ones that, you know, I was lost, but now I'm found. As long as they do the little singy, cry thing in their voice when they say, I was lost, but now I'm found. Uh, <laughs> I felt like that was the only time God wanted to hear it. And as I was sitting down thinking about testimony and actually what testimony is, it has nothing to do with you. Did you know that? We have, we have perverted what a testimony is to tell my story. We have made testimony about me. When we would say to people, what's your testimony? They're like, I got a chair. <laughs> Let me tell you from birth to now, when I'm 65, everything that's ever happened to me. And the fact of the matter is, is testimony is not about what's happened to me, but what God has done. And so it doesn't have to be a big, I was, you know, addicted to this and that and, and all this stuff happened and I did drugs for 25, me, 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 me. <laughs> we became selfish with testimony. Now, I don't want you to misinterpret. You, you do something that you go out and you pray for somebody, we want to hear about that because we want to hear about what God's doing. But I want to hear less about the, the, all of the thoughts leading up to the prayer, unless they're really funny, like gas station. Uh, <laughs> then I want to hear all the things. Um, but, but we don't make testimony about me. 
We make it about Him. I, I actually do remember thinking um, when I became an older person, like 18, 19, moved out of my parents' house, started making decisions. I remember thinking, because I always knew that I would come back to God at some point in my life. So I always was thinking, okay, well, this is, this is going to be part of the story of what God's done in my life, or more, more specifically, all the things that I did to make me, I don't know, look cool or whatever it was. And the fact of the matter is, is that uh, God is not interested in what he saved you from. It's God's interested in what he saved you for. God doesn't care about your past. As a matter of fact, once he forgives you, so let's talk about our personal testimony first. Once he forgives you, it says that he forgets. It says that he casts your sins as far as the east is from the west. They never meet. Or in another place, it says that he casts them into the sea of forgetfulness. He never remembers them again. They're gone forever. The only person, the only people or beings that remember them are you and the enemy. And so when you get up and recount all the things that you've done in your entire life to tell you what God saved you from, it can be summed up in a sentence. I was lost, but now I'm found. And now I'm moving forward. I'm pressing onward. I'm moving towards the finish line. But on my way, I'm going to get as many people coming with me as I can. That is my testimony. And from here forward, that's all we talk about. Not you guys, but when I'm telling a story. From here forward, I'm not going to tell you about what I did. I'm going to tell you about who we're becoming through him. That is the power of testimony. I want to look at it in a little more detail. When I testify, I'm, not, I'm testifying to what God has done and what I've witnessed him doing around me or through me, but my testimony is for God's, about God's deliverance, not about my disobedience. My testimony should always be about God's deliverance, not about my disobedience to him. Does that make sense? We don't make it about us because once we start making it about us, what does that do? It all of a sudden disqualifies people. All of a sudden, people are like, well, I didn't go through that. I can't do that. I'm not there. I didn't, God didn't save me from anything big. We don't disqualify. We talk about, because, because a testimony is supposed to do what? Encourage, stir us up, provoke us. And so, yes, it's wonderful to hear how Nathan got saved. It's an incredible story. And how Destiny got saved, it's an incredible story. And I haven't heard about everybody's stories, but they're incredible stories. And it's wonderful stories to sit and hear. But let me tell you what's even more wonderful. When we hear, let me tell you what God did this week. Let me tell you what God did this morning. Let me tell you what God did yesterday. I prayed for patience and I got none. Because he reminded me I need to pray for love. That's a testimony. I saw somebody walking down the street and it was raining and I pulled over and I offered them a ride and I talked to them about him. That's a testimony. As a matter of fact, we're going to get into testimony uh, 
a fair little bit here for just a few minutes. The word testimony in the English means, according to Webster's Dictionary, a solemn declaration usually made orally or by a witness under oath in response to interrogation by a lawyer or an authorized official. Okay, that's number one. Number two, the second definition is firsthand authentication of a fact, evidence. Number three, an outward sign. Number four, an open acknowledgement. Number five, a public profession of a religious experience. That's according to Webster's Dictionary. So then in the Greek, the word is martyria, and it means to witness, to give evidence, and reputation. So what the Greek, when, when, when the Greek talks about giving testimony, it's literally saying you're putting your reputation out. So if I come and give you a testimony and it proves not to be true, that's my, my reputation, right? In a court of law, if I, and I, I testify a lot in court, and in court, if I'm testifying I, after my second hearing, the first hearing that I was testifying, we get to use hearsay. The second one is only firsthand account. So when I go to what's called an adjudication hearing and I testify, I can only testify to what I personally experienced in that case. I cannot testify to what you saw and reported to me because that's hearsay, right? So, so there, we're going to look at it from a couple different standpoints, but I want you to hold on to both of them. And then the last one is in the Hebrew, the word is aduth, yeah. uh, <laughs> which means to do it again. Or to repeat. I've talked about this before, so I'm not going to spend a lot of time on the legal side of testimony. I've done, a, I've done a whole sermon on the legal side of testimony, but I'll give you a brief little bit. We're going to, according to the Hebrew, it means to do it again. So again, in a court of law, I get up and I testify. So, so obviously I work for CPS, so I might get up and I might testify to the, the condition of a home or, or the, the, the injuries on a child or the fact that the child had been abandoned or left alone or whatever. I might testify to those things and, and we'll talk them through. And in my case, it's a civil case, so it's solely to that case. Does that make sense? But in a non-civil case or a criminal case, once testimony is heard and a decision or a, a, a ruling has been made, there's what's called precedence that has now been set. So if I get up and I testify about something and, and the, the decision is, is you're found guilty or not guilty, in every other hearing moving forward, they can say, Your Honor, in the case of the state versus Michael Richardson, you, it was ruled that. Ba, 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 ba. And that's precedent. So then the judge takes that and goes, you know what, you're right. There, there has been precedent set. It's according to the law. And so I will rule in that same way. I believe that God works the same way in the supernatural. I believe that as we pray for someone or as we're petitioning God for something, it's okay to say, but Father, in the case of Nathan and food allergies, you healed him of the food allergies. So now I declare that over the person I'm praying for now. It's okay to remind, not that God forgets, it's actually reminding us and reminding the enemy that precedence has been set. Does that make sense? Yes. But today I actually want to go a different direction. Um, all of the previous 
true, but today I want to look at testimony from a different lens. I want to talk about testimony in regards to others. When we hear about great things that God has done in someone else's life, it should provoke us to do more. If we hear amazing things that are happening in... in so I, I follow a lot. I follow Heidi Baker in Africa, in Mozambique. And uh, we, we support her in this church. And, and I have a friend that went and did an internship with Heidi Baker. And if you don't know Heidi, she, was, she went to the Toronto Blessing, had an encounter with God in the 90s. Uh, she felt like God told her and her husband to go to Africa. So they did. They had no money. They literally got off the plane with no money and said, now what? And they sat down on the street or on the corner. And a bunch of children came running up to them. And they knew that they were there to minister to children. And so they went out into Mozambique, into the bush, and they have a whole kind of compound set up, and there's hundreds of kids and families there all the time. Um, and and what, we, what we hear about when you follow Heidi Baker is incredible miracles that happen through her ministry. And I'm not just talking physical healing or raising the dead. I'm not talking about those things solely. I'm also talking about the salvations, the people who are coming to Jesus and the teams that remain in place to continue to disciple them. Heidi, just like Daniel Kalinda, who's also in Africa, he took over um, Reinhard Bonnke's ministry. Um, they, they not only do they go and do crusades, but they also leave a team to raise up leaders in that tribe to then teach their people so that it's not just what I like to call ding-dong-ditch Christianity, right? Come and accept Jesus. May the odds ever be in your favor. Because <laughs> that, that, that is American Christianity. That is American Christianity. And, and, and so I follow Heidi, and one of the things that she's the most, her ministry is the most famous for is the never-ending spaghetti bowl. She'll go out into the bush, into the deep bush, and, and uh, Cassidy told us this story too, where hundreds or thousands of people will come and eat, and she has this giant pot of spaghetti, and she just serves and serves, and it never runs out, ever, ever. And, and there's like video documentation of this. It's not just, oh, people say, oh, you know what happens? Huh? There's like video documentation. Why? We know there's precedent set. Jesus multiplied the fish and the loaves to feed the hungry. We know that Jesus does that. And so I believe, I don't know Heidi personally, but I believe that she stands on those promises and says, if you did it then, then you'll do it again. Because testimony, that, this is a book of testimony. This is solely a book of what God has already done to set precedence for what he can do. And I believe that Heidi looks at it and says, you did it once, do it again. I know that Cassidy came and told us years, several years ago about them going out and ministering and there was a little boy that had passed away and a couple members of her team, she wasn't there, but a couple members of her team went and prayed and that child was raised from the dead. Jesus did it here many times and I believe that that team says you did it once, you can do it again because it's not them, it's Jesus through them but they stand on the testimony of what God has done. And so that's one of the points I want to make here is if you don't have a testimony, find someone else's. Start listening to testimony of what God has done and then you can begin to stand on that. Well, you did it for him, so do it for me. You did it for him, so do it for Chris. 
We begin to stand on promises. If, if you have a sickness or a disease that you want healed from, like start looking at testimonies and start really concentrating in on all the times God has done it. Remember the story of the denarius and where, where, Jesus, or where the, the, the landowner went at six o'clock in the morning and he hired somebody and he said, I'll give you a denarius for a day's wage. And, and uh, sorry, I lost my train of thought. I looked at my wife's beauty and I just became speechless. Um, so he said, I'll give you, and the guy was like, yeah, that's a good wage, I'll do it. And then at nine o'clock, he went back and he hired someone else and he said, I, if you work the rest of the day, I'll give you a denarius. And the guy said, yes. And then at noon, he went back again and said, if you come and work the rest of the day, I'll give you a denarius. And the guy said, yes. Then he went back at three and did it one more time and said, if you work for the rest of the day, I'll give you a denarius. And the guy said, yes. And then he lined them up at the end and he paid the person he hired at three o'clock first. Because if you can't choose to rejoice in someone else's breakthrough, you will never get one yourself. The, the landowner said when people started to complain, isn't it my money? Can't I choose to pay people what I choose to pay them? You agreed to work for that amount of money. And, and so I believe that as we watch other people get breakthrough in an area and we begin to rejoice for their breakthrough and get rid of the jealousy and the envy and all the things and the bitterness and the offense because they got what I didn't and we just rejoice in their breakthrough and we become about them and not about me, all of a sudden I believe that is the time when we will get our breakthrough. So none of that was in my notes, so I got to figure out where I was. Because here I'm going to talk for a few minutes. I put it in bold. Oftentimes I believe the reason that we feel dry in our life, when we feel like God's not moving in our life, when we feel like, oh my gosh, he's so far away from me, it's because we have separated ourselves from the testimony of others. Because it's all about you. And if I listen to your testimony, I'll get stirred up. I know that not just you, there were several people there for a while that were calling me on a very regular basis and giving me testimonies of what God was doing. And let me tell you, the motivation for me to dig deeper was stronger than it had ever been before because I was seeing other people move forward and I wanted to go there too. And then I don't know if they stopped calling or I stopped listening, but at some point... I stopped hearing testimony. Last night, I was downstairs in the office and I put on Azusa Now from 2016 where I was there. I turned it on and literally I turned on the one that, the short one, it says the last four hours. <laughs> and uh, I watched some prophetic words and some different things and some worship and, and I began to remember what God did when I was at that crusade. I began to remember the, the healing that I received in my knee. I began to remember the Uber driver that needed Jesus. And, and because of a myriad of events that happened, just boom, 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 she was able to go to this event and, was, and gave her heart to Jesus, or rededicated her life. I began to watch that because I needed to remember I needed to remember the testimony of what God did. Yes, I remember God healing my knee, but I also remember so many other things about that event. 
I, I know that that event set me on a trajectory that I hadn't been on before. And so I began to remember. It's important. The Bible says over and over and over, remember His works. Remember what He's done. Meditate on the goodness of God. Okay, again, not in my notes, but we're going to go there. So I want to I say that there is biblical precedence to what I'm talking about, and we are going to go through a few scriptures, not as many as last week. Um, but I want to just go over four points with you about testimony and what it does. Number one, if you, if you don't have paper and you do have a pen, there are, is a note section. Don't know if anyone ever knew that. Um, but number one is this, testimony fuels revival and breakthrough. We talk about wanting revival in our, in our city, in our region. Testimony fuels that, right? When, when you start hearing about what God's doing somewhere, what's the first thing you want to do? I want to go there. I want to see if that's real or not. I want to see if, I want to see if that's really happening, or I know it's really happening, and that's amazing, and I want to be there because I don't want to miss out. It doesn't mean Cream Ridge. That means the body of Christ. That means all the churches. I don't, I don't care. I, do I want Cream Ridge full? Yeah, it would, it would be an ego boost for me. But more importantly, I want to see the body of Christ function the way the body of Christ is supposed to function. And that includes, and that includes I'm not going to go through the list, all the churches. There's 27 of them in Orfino, all of them. Um, so testimony fuels revival and breakthrough. We're written and spoken accounts of who God is and what he has done. Turn to John chapter 4, verse 39. And while you're going there, I'm going to tell you the story that leads up to this. This is the woman at the well. John 4, 39. And I went to John 12, so it would have been weird. Uh, so this is the story of the woman at the well. So Jesus comes up to the well. He wants some water. There's a Samaritan woman sitting there. Uh, so there's a couple things wrong with this situation. First of all, she was a Samaritan. She cannot, he should not speak to her. Second of all, she's a woman. He should not speak to her. Uh, but he does. And, he, and, and basically, she, he tells this story and he says that I can give you water that you will never thirst again. I can give you the living water in which you will never thirst again. And, and she's like, tell me more. And he said, go get your husband. And she said, I don't have a husband. And he said, you're right. You've had five husbands and the man you're with now is not your husband. And she was shocked and she said, who are you? How do you know these things about me? And in verse 39, it says, many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them, and he stayed there for two days. And many more believed because of his word. So the Samaritan woman went to town and started telling people about what God has said, about what Jesus just said to her. He, he told me everything I've ever done, which that's not a huge list if that's all she's ever done wrong. But... Uh, but she, he told me everything I've ever done. And it says many people believed because of her testimony, because she told what God did in her life. Many people believed that that city. I, I would challenge to say that city came to Jesus because she spoke her testimony, because she spoke what God did in that moment, not what he historically did, but in the moment, guess what just happened? Oh my gosh. 
We see it again in Acts chapter 19. You guys okay? I don't know what I would say if you said no, um, because I'm not done. Acts chapter 19. I'm going to kind of pop around in this because it's a lot of scripture and I don't want to read the whole chapter. But in verse 1 it says, And it happened that while Apollos was in Corinth, Paul passed through the inland country and came to Ephesus. There he found some disciples, and he said to them, did you receive the Holy Spirit? So first thing, Paul comes into Ephesus, he sees some disciples, and he's like, did you guys receive the Holy Spirit? And they're like, no, I don't, I don't know what that is. And he's like, oh, let me tell you. Seriously, that's what happened. He said, then where were you baptized? He said, we were baptized by John, and Paul goes, or in the name of John, and, and Paul said, or John's baptism, and Paul said, no, John's baptism was under repentance but this is unto power. And, and he told, I can, so I'm going to read between the lines for just a second. I believe that Paul in this moment told the story of Acts chapter 2 when, when they were in the upper room and, and the tongues of fire came upon them. When Jesus had said, wait until power comes, until power is bestowed upon you. I believe that in that moment, Paul's like, let me tell you, you've never heard about him. Let me tell you what happened to me. They said, uh, into John's baptism, repentance. On hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord. And when Paul laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them and they began speaking in tongues and prophesying. There were about 12 men in all. It's important, 12 men. So we're going to skip down. In verse 11, it says, And God was doing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul, so that even handkerchiefs and aprons that had touched his skin were carried away to the sick, and their diseases left him, and the evil spirits came out of them. Pause for just a second. If that's not a testimony, I don't know what is. It, the, the Bible is full of testimony. This is saying that so much great things were happening that even if Paul would touch a handkerchief and send it, people would be healed. That's a testimony. Then some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists <laughs> undertook to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over the evil spirits. This is one of my favorite passages. I adjure you by, this, by Jesus whom Paul proclaims. Seven sons of Jewish high priests named Sceva were doing this, but the evil spirit answered them. So he said, I adjure you or I cast you out by Jesus whom Paul speaks of. And the evil spirit said, Jesus I know. And Paul, I recognize, but who are you? And the man in whom the evil spirit was, the evil spirit leaped on them, mastered all of them, and overpowered them, so that they fled out of the house naked and wounded. I'm not sure how, how they got naked. But, um, <laughs> and this became known to all the residents of Ephesus, both Jews and Greeks. Pause there. That is a testimony. That, that somebody tried to cast out a demon, but didn't know who he was in the name of. That's a testimony. And I'm going to prove it because of this. And this became known to all the residents, and fear fell upon them all, and the name of the Lord Jesus was exalted. And many of those who were, who were now believers came confessing and divulging their practices. They confessed their sins. And a number of those who had practiced magic arts brought their books together and burned them in sight of all, and they counted the value of them and found it to be 50,000 pieces of silver. So the word of the Lord continue to increase and prevail. That's testimony. That is the power. So, so remember, this point is that testimony fuels revival. 
Because every time it was, and people heard, and the city changed. People heard, and the city changed. She went and told people, and the city changed. Paul told some people about the Holy Spirit. They received the Holy Spirit, and the city changed. Point number two is that your testimony is a prophetic word to someone else. Your testimony is a promise to someone else. It's very, very important. For the sake of time, I'm just going to say that the Gospels are full of examples of someone getting breakthrough and word traveling to others and them, them, them receiving it for themselves. Master, I heard. Master, I heard. Could you do that for me? Your testimony is a prophetic word for someone else. Two more points and we're done. Culture is created by the stories we tell and retell. I'm going to say that again. Culture is created by the stories we tell. We know that when we... How many people have ever gotten a negative kick in their life? Mom, raise your hand. <laughs> negative kick. Where any, I can't say anything positive about anything. Every time I turn around, I'm like, oh my gosh, another, I got another investigation. I got this. I got that. Blah, 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 blah. Right? And then all of a sudden, everyone around me begins to get on that same kick. Because the stories that we tell and retell become the culture. When I begin to, so, so when you get into a group of, of people and they are telling uh, inappropriate jokes, whether they're sexual in nature or just dumb, whatever it is, they're telling inappropriate jokes. And you jump in on that and you begin to tell stories and jokes and all the things. And all of a sudden that becomes the culture of the people that you're with. So when that group of people come together, you automatically go to inappropriate. I've been there. Did you know that the culture of the kingdom is just as addictive? Did you know that when God is really moving, I went to my work, I have a, I have a buddy that I work with that's an atheist and, and he just simply loves to hear stories about God healing people because it's really hard for him to reconcile it because on one hand, he doesn't believe in that, but on the other hand, he knows I, does, I don't lie. And the other day he said something to me, he goes, I haven't heard much about your church lately. I'm like, me neither. Because a culture was beginning to be created. As a matter of fact, I have other coworkers and even a boss that will come in my office on my break and will say, I need my pastor for a minute. And will talk to me about stuff that's going on because we create a culture. Culture is, is fueled by the stories that you tell. If you talk about the goodness of God, the culture will be the goodness of God. If you talk about the trials of life, the, your culture will be the trials of life. That's why the Bible says in Philippians chapter 4, verse 6, it says, fix your mind. If there's, uh, whatsoever is pure, whatsoever is holy, whatsoever is good, whatsoever is just, if there's anything of good report, if there's anything worthy of praise, fix your mind on those things. So if it's not good, it's not God. If it's not pure, it's not Him. If it's not holy, Shut up. If you can't find anything worthy of praise, shift your focus to something else and find it there. 
We don't, I, I've said this a hundred times, any idiot can find the negative in a person. Any idiot can do that. But a child of the king finds the gold nugget in the pile of manure. Then the last point I want to say is that yesterday's victories become today's weapons. What happened yesterday, the breakthrough we got yesterday becomes our weapon to get through today. Proverbs chapter 18, verse 21 says that the power of life and death is in the tongue. Yesterday's victory becomes today's weapon. Revelations chapter 12, verse 11 says that they overcame by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. How do we overcome the enemy? First is through salvation, through sanctification, through, through repentance. First is being washed clean by the blood of Jesus. But the second is the word of our testimony. That is how we overcome the enemy is by talking about the goodness of God in our life. Because the enemy wants you to focus on the negative. That's why we do more often than we don't. Um, and I will tell you that the enemy is sometimes the devil, but oftentimes you. Oftentimes it's your own self-talk. I'm not a big, there's a demon behind every rock. I believe 90% of our problem is our own ignorance. I believe 90% of my problem is my own ignorance. But if I took my victory from yesterday and I applied it to my today, it becomes my weapon for today. And my weapon just keeps getting stronger so long as I keep using it, doesn't it? So if I had a, a little knife, a paring knife yesterday, today it's like, you know, a steak knife. And tomorrow it might be a butcher knife. The next day it might be a machete. And the next day it might be a sword. And the next day it might be an assault rifle. Right? Because my, my, my victory keeps building my weapons. Because what that means is this. It means that there are times where I have to remind myself, and I will tell you there are times that I remind the devil, you need to remember what God did. You need to remember that God set him free. You need to remember that God chose him. I, I, will, I will declare that to myself. I'll declare that to the enemy. You have no ground here. This was purchased and now you're trespassing. If I was bought with a price, if I was bought by the blood of Jesus, when the enemy comes and tries to attack, I can invoke a trespassing order against him because this, this belongs to the king. And he was not invited or allowed onto this property. Yesterday's victory is today's weapon. So testimony refuels revival. Your testimony is somebody else's prophetic word or promise. The stories you tell create a culture, and your victory from yesterday becomes your weapon today. It says that the weapons of our warfare aren't carnal, but they're spiritual for the tearing down of strongholds. It has nothing to do with your neighbor, has nothing to do with your coworker, has nothing to do with your spouse. Your battle is not with a human, your battle is spiritual. So I would challenge you to start talking about the goodness of God in your life, to yourself, to others, to people who want to hear it, to people who don't. Start saying, guess what God did? Let me tell you a weird story. 
Let me tell you this. Let me tell you about this lady at the gas station a few months ago. Don't forget about what God has done. It says remember the works that God has done. Don't forget about what God did through you three or four months ago, five months ago, six months ago, six years ago, 10 years ago, 25 years ago. Don't forget about those. Stand on those promises that it can continue today. It's vitally important that we understand that if you're in a dry spell, we're all in a dry spell. We're all looking for more. We want more. So look on what you had. Because it says, if you're faithful with the little, I will give you much. So if, if God's done something through you, focus in on what God's done through you and thank him for that move. And if you're faithful with that, he'll give you more. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for today. God, I thank you for the opportunity to come together. God, I thank you for the opportunity to provoke one another into, into faith, Father, that, that my testimony, the things that God has done in my life would be a promise to somebody else. God, help me keep my focus on you, that my testimony is not about what I've done, but what you've done. Father, I thank you today that, that as we move forward, God, we're going to take these keys and we're going to begin to unlock the doors to your kingdom in this region. Father, I thank you for, for each one, God, that, that's here today, those that couldn't make it. Father, I ask that you bless each one as they go. In Jesus' name, amen. Out of the way.